Hey, hey, it's big news at the Talking Joe studios. We have our first ever guest. Cue the fanfare and the marching band. This guy has worked for IDW, Marvel, Boom Studios, Valiant, Image. He's a writer, artist, letterer, colorist. I guess he does his own books, so maybe he edits his own stuff. That's, uh, of course, the great Michel Fife. How are you, sir? Hey, what's going on, Chief? Thanks for having me on. Yeah, you're, you're most welcome. You're most welcome. Our first guest, like I say, uh, it's uh, big news at the Talking Joe Studios. Um, That's an honor. I got to tell you. <laughs> How are you doing on this uh, this fine? Well, I guess it's your morning. It's my afternoon. How are you doing? Good, good. Just taking a break from inking a bunch of pages. Um, I'm on my next project, so I'm always at the board, just working away. Ooh, interesting, interesting. Is that uh, uh, some Copra stuff or some stuff you can't talk about? Uh, a little bit of both. I'm always okay. trying to juggle as much as I possibly can, but uh, definitely Copra. Yeah, yeah, nice, nice. Um, we're going to talk about and like you said, Joe. it's just me writing, penciling, <laughs> doing it all. So right now, I'm, yeah. I'm I'm in the current inking stage right now. Ah, okay. Is that I mean, uh, it's it's always you know, I like the the movie Mall Rats, Kevin Smith, and there's that good shtick with Jason Lee where he's like, uh, "Inker, you're a tracer," and all that sort of stuff. Um, and it wasn't until I kind of grew up that I realized that inking, man, that is a fine skill. It's not simply going over the pencils, is it? It's, you know. No, not at all. I mean, basically, I'm tracing myself, you could say. But yeah. actually, I do most of my drawing in the inking stage. Uh, my pencils are usually pretty loose. I mean, they're like scratchy shapes, you know, that only yeah. I understand. And sometimes I even test my own limits. Uh, <laughs> so usually when I'm inking is when I'm actually figuring things out the way they're going to look. I just have what, something so it in can mind even... and I go for it. It can even kind of change what you'd originally envisioned when you were doing the pencils. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. And 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 a good solid inker traditionally does that. You know, they were given kind of loose pencils uh, yeah. because you know they're they're they had to crank out pages. You know, as a, as a factory system, just kind of get the basic shapes on on the page, and then the yeah. inker would be responsible for tightening it up and making it production ready. Uh, these days, it's a different, I mean, it's a different ballgame with not only digital inking, but the way pencilers sort of pencil so tightly, uh, so meticulously, uh, that it's just almost a different art form. Uh, so but how, how I do lean you... more towards a traditional side. So you'd, you are a, a pen and ink man rather than a digital man, or you use multimedia? I definitely use brushes and nibs. To ink uh, for coloring, I use uh, color pencils, paints, watercolors, whatever I have around, and some digital. You know, I mean, we we still have to scan the pages and send them in. Uh, so I do a little bit of cleanup in that. You know, my because my originals could get messy sometimes. Um, yeah, I yeah. do edits I on mean, the actual pages, so I do a little bit of digital. So yeah. I, I I try to do it all. Yeah, I mean we've we've jumped straight in there, balls deep. So um, we're going to talk yeah. about GI Joe, obviously, but let's let's go back. You know, twenty five years. A, a young Michelle, you're kicking around at home. Is there comics about in the house? You know, were they part of you growing up? And at what point did you think, you know what, I'm going to make a living from these funny books? Oh yeah, comics. Comics were always around. I always liked them. I always drew them. Um, I'd say when I was about seven or eight is when I kind of wanted to start doing it forever. The concept of a career and a job, I think it was something that was asked in school, like, what would you like to do? And comics was my natural answer and, you know, cut to now and that's what I'm doing. So I'm living out that sort of fantasy. Uh, I'm really fortunate to be doing that. Uh, but comics were always around. That was always, that was never a weird thing. That was never, uh, 
you know, it wasn't lacking. Uh, it was a reading tool. I mean, it's what, um, I mean, that's how I learned how to read English, you know, Uh, between that and like cartoons. I mean, that, that set me, that set me well on my path to, to what I'm doing now, you know? Was there, was there anything, (coughs) excuse me, was there anything that, you know, was a staple comic that you read or was it anything you could consume, you know, anything that was on the newsstand? Well, I mean, for me, I was, I was sort of like, um, at the mercy of whatever my local 7-Eleven ordered. Uh, so I would pick from what they had and I had favorites, uh, you know, uh, Daredevil was a favorite. Suicide Squad was a favorite. Uh, Batman was always like a must get. I was a big Batman fan, Superman. Um, it wasn't until I started going to comic book shops, um, still as a young kid, but you know, after developing some sort of, uh, taste, um, when I started like broadening my horizons and, and getting other stuff. And around that time, that's sort of when image started. So I started getting those. Yep. Um, I saw, for example, this, this was big. Uh, it seems minor, but it's not, but it, the, the documentary comic book confidential aired and that opened me up to a world of comic books. Uh, I mean, a golden age independence. Uh, I mean, it was great. It was, it was awesome. So that's sort of, I don't know. They've always been around. Comics have always been yeah. part of my DNA uh, of, of the entertainment that I like and the art that I like. Yeah. Cool. I mean, we, in, in the UK, we had a lot of weeklies, which is kind of opposed to the, the U S model of monthly. So we had, there was, I mean, we had stuff like comics called the Beano and the Dandy, which were aimed at a much younger audience, but there was also uh, battle and battle action, which were kind of heavy war military comics. And it wasn't really until sort of late seventies, nineteen ninety seven, when 2000 AD came out, you know, and it kind of, which is still going now. And, you right. know, if you, if you haven't, you know, caught any of that, um, then I think it'd be right up your alley. You know, it's not just yeah, Judge no, Dredd. I, mean, I love Judge Dredd. I yeah. have not read any recent ones, but I do know that there's, it's still going on, man. I mean, that shit is still going. The- I mean, for, you know, just celebrated 40 years, a couple of years ago. And to produce a weekly comic on schedule, you know, th- for that period of time is, is you know, wow. It's it's that and G.I. Joe. 2000 AD and G.I. Joe are my two comics lovers. If you said, you know, you can't read any other comic titles but two, that those would be the two for me, so... Now, when um, you got G.I. Joe, was that Action Force? Was that the British equivalent? Yeah, yeah, the you Action nailed it there. Right? So we got it in 1987. We got a weekly a weekly book called Action Force. It only ran for 50 issues for a year. And it, from like issue two or three, it started reprinting the U.S. stuff as well as U.K. original stories using those characters. Um, but it actually started reprinting from about issue 25 solidly upwards of G- 25 of G.I. Joe upwards. So when I went back and bought all the U.S. comics, that 1 to 24 was all new stuff to me. Um, right. But we've actually, in our reread on the Talking Joe podcast, we've just hit 27, um, The Origin of Snake Eyes, which I know I know you're a fan of that story. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that's interesting because um, I've only read one Grant Morrison story that came out in Action Force. That's the only Oh, yeah, story. yeah, yeah. The quick kick one. Yes. Well, was it quick? Oh, the Shang Shang Chi. There was a, there was a Storm Shadow short story. Really? I th- yeah, I believe, or maybe Storm Shadow was in in the cover on the cover. I'm pretty sure it's a story. This was a while back, but I was recently um, introduced to the work of Jerry Paris. Okay. And, yeah. Yeah. And he was he's amazing. He you know I had no idea 
who he was and i just learned about him like weeks ago uh but he was a staple in gi joe uh, action force comics and uh so now i have to look for those you know I'm uh, that's for that's those. Uh, that's probably the battle action is it possibly because there was also a before action force in 1987 and i don't know too much about this myself and there's a lot of other people that will, will correct me or, or or give me the right give us the right information on this pod probably but um there was a uh, an, another weekly comic called Battle then went to Battle Action and it was kind of that real crappy newspaper print you know almost <laughs> like toilet roll kind of paper and that also used the G.I. Joe characters but in an out of continuity kind of setting um, right so maybe that was where that, that Grant Morrison popped up um, yeah maybe I, I wouldn't know I'm not the authority on that on that stuff but uh, and again I was recently introduced to some of it um, because of the back issue market here in the States yeah. Uh, but G.I. Joe comics specifically, I had a few of them when I was a kid, but it wasn't until I was like an older reader collecting the issues and, and specifically the work of Larry Hama. Yes. The, so my, I read these as a young adult, essentially. I, I, you know, So I don't have like a, a, a nostalgic bent to this material. I, I read it as an adult who had already read tons of comics. Yeah. Um, and I sort of just got swept up in it, you know. As a kid, though, I did have some toys. I watched the cartoons all the time. Yeah, I mean, um, I, it was really I was, the comics that came later. Yeah, I, I started seriously collecting U.S. comics in about 1992, around that. So I was 17 at the time. So I was late, late developer, if you will, you know, as well as in terms of hardcore collecting. And um, right. I remember sending off to uh, East Coast Comics and uh, getting big oh, batches yeah. of like, you know, 30 or 40 GI Joes at a time. And then I was um found some comic book stores in the uk and i was that's when i started getting all the image books it was a great time because you know those those guys are broken away and i was slap bang in that that boom period and wow that that image stuff was uh still holds up i love it i love it i was I, mean, that, I was in the middle of that too yeah I, I bought every single image comic that came out i was the, the prime demographic yeah. for that stuff yeah you sure. know it that's, that's that's amazing i mean let's let's quickly talk about uh, you know we're going to talk about your sierra murta and other stuff gi joe but i do want to quickly touch on you know a couple of other books you've done copra especially um mm -hmm. a couple of apologies quickly first of all that ben couldn't be here because he is doing some work in new york city hopefully he'll be back tomorrow and secondly i know you've been doing a lot of pr lately other podcasts so i apologize if you're getting the same questions thrown at you but there might be people who are listening to this that might not listen to the other ones so yeah of um, course. but yeah C copra i mean that's that's your your independent book that you pretty much have a free reign and do everything on so just tell us, tell the listeners, you know, if they haven't caught it, what, what what's the what's the crack with that? That's right. Copra was, uh, it still is uh, the the serialized action comic that I do. I've been self-publishing it for about six years, and I'm up to issue 31. Um, and it's it's like I said, it's my action comic. It's the one I, I completely uh, create and produce myself, from from writing it to coloring it to you know self-publishing and, and shipping it to subscribers and stores all across the country and in some international stores too some stores in the uk carry it uh, yeah. bergen street comics uh, do the collected editions and and they have a wider distribution system within previews and diamond and so it's available and but the basic premise is just my version of like weird misfit mercenaries going around doing stuff it, it, it's it's my it's it's my love letter to adventure comics, you know, the way yeah. I want them to be uh, and look, you know, it's some would say that it's like an indie take on it. I, I can't really uh, put it apart like that because it's just the way I draw. But I do like 
uh, drawing it in a different way. I, I like the fact that it doesn't look like anything else. That's just yeah. sort of an automatic thing. But looking back, I, it just looks different and it reads differently. So it's not it's not like an homage to anything specific, but um, but it's just the way I want a superhero action comic to read and feel and engage with the reader. You know, it's a relationship. Yeah. So it's something that I've developed over the years with uh, my readers who are, have been super loyal and awesome. And I, I try to reward the, those long-term readers while at the same time being inviting for a new audience. Yeah, I mean, I came I came to it late. I mean, I listened to the War Rocket Ajax podcast and um, Chris and Matt on there, yeah. you, know, or, you know, your name comes up quite a bit and how much they like it. And it wasn't until the Bloodstrike book came out from Image that I, I read that because, you know, that I had big ties to that book growing up. And I thought, you know what, I'll, I'll check out this Copra book as well. And it was like, holy shit, this is uh, ticking all the boxes. Uh, so I went, <laughs> I went on eBay to try and find it. And, you know, it's a sign of a good book because those is- those early issues, man, they are cash money if you want to buy them on eBay. Um, yeah. Which is, which is a good sign. I guess the print run was small. But, you know, Comixology is your friend, so... Uh, right, right. You know, by virtue of the fact that it was limited editions, you know, there's only there are only so many copies I could print. Uh, it does make it a, a, a collectible. You know, those early issues, especially I, I could only afford to print, say, what, three to four hundred copies. Yeah. And that, and I thought I would be sitting on copies forever. You know, I'd still have back issues, uh, but it, it picked up. And, you know, thanks to guys and readers like the Ward uh, Rocket Ajax guys who liked it early on. Um, yeah. that, that it just by word of mouth, it spread and it hit yeah. and it's been great ever since. And I've been trying to develop this huge story that I'm still continuing to this day. So what, what's, and, what's uh, the, what's the, I'm, I'm, I'm nowhere near the end. I'm only up to site issue, I think 10, but is there a, an end goal in sight or, you know, there's obviously lots of plots and subplots interweaved and, you know, or is it just as long as people keep buying it, you'll keep doing it. I mean, I've flirted with that idea, but, you know, it started out as, as it was only going to be 12 issues originally, but by issue two, I was having such a good time. I felt like, how could I continue this without milking it? Because that's what I don't want to do. I don't want it to be uh, some sort of unenthusiastic enterprise for me and the reader, right? Yeah. So I mapped out 50 issues, I'd say give or take where I could do a little bit less or more, but I could easily fill 50 issues with and say exactly what I want to say with these characters. Cool. And maybe along the line, I will develop more stories and flesh them out and yeah. just add it and just the thing will grow. So it's yeah. organic in that regard, but I have 50 issues in mind. And right now I'm, I'm a little past the halfway point uh, for that goal. Uh, but it, it's, it kind of sprang as this sort of, it, it, this organic spontaneous thing you know this kind of response to my own work which yep. i usually you know i took forever to create um it didn't have any sort of superheroics or any sort of ridiculous scenarios in them which is the stuff i like as well but it kind of came from that frustration you know and i've yeah. been doing it by myself ever since because you know the world of alternative comics and indie comics that's sort of what you do you know you don't think about it you just kind of do it you don't I mean, there are collaborators, of course, yeah. but it's not that weird that one person does everything. So is that a le- not in a negative way, but is that kind of a lonely thing? Do you, do you, you know, I guess you're doing other projects where you are working with people, but, you know. 
I mean, it can be, but it's not for me. It's kind of my prefer my preferred way of doing it. I mean, I've been in studios before, but those things are more those situations are more distracting than not. And at the at the at the clip I go to produce the amount of stuff I have to just get done, um, I just have to be left alone, you know. And yeah. that not in terms of like feedback or editors or anything, but just physically, I need to just let loose and just go and crank stuff out. Yeah. I mean, um, I've, I've, so been, yeah, I've been, I've been, oh, no, sorry, sorry, go on. No, I was just going to say that it's not quite lonely. It's actually perfect. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, I've been watching a lot of, uh, I got a kick out of a lot of 80s and 90s action movies. I just watched uh, Passenger, Fi Passenger 57 yesterday, the old Wesley mm -hmm. Snipes. And it's, you know, it's so bad. It's good. I, you know, I really dig that scene and I get that, I get that vibe from, from Copra and not that it's so bad it's good but it's so good it's good uh, but I like that just overblown action and you know outrageous characters and um, all those Stallone and Schwarzenegger movies from the 80s and 90s I, I love it and I get that vibe from your work which is pretty cool yeah that, I mean that's what I like so I try to in, inject that into into the comics um, not only that but like other types of comics too not just superhero comics yeah that's why it, it looks the way it does, you know, because I'm not drawing from the same pool of yeah. influences that a lot of cartoonists currently dominating the landscape have. You know, that's why there's a, uh, even though there's a lot of variety in a lot of comics, uh, maybe it's the coloring, maybe it's the subject matter, but there's sort of a sameness that sets in and I automatically just come from a different place. So it sets it apart visually yeah. and thematically. Uh, it's just my own interests you know the way i tell a story is is way different than um the current traditional crop of comics definitely, you know definitely. so it i'm glad to hear that that you dig it you know that you, you yeah. got into it by way of yeah. blood strike yeah, yeah yeah i mean we're gonna have a little interlude here not, not a silent interlude it's a um it's a gi joe pop quiz pop quiz it's a gi joe pop quiz pop quiz question one uh <laughs> You don't you don't know what to do. It's a it's a lazy Saturday. You pop down to the uh, local basketball court for a quick pickup game. You got one second le left in the game. You're down by one. You need a clutch buzzer beater to win the game. Who takes the shot? Is it clutch or is it buzzer? I'll go with clutch. Clutch, yeah. clutch in the clutch. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Back to the show. <laughs> weren't expecting that were you um so yeah but i mean blood strike so that, this is for people that don't know this was an image book back in the 90s it was from the the extreme studios from Lo rob liefeld coming out of young blood and all that kind of stuff um and it it kind of abruptly ended um i think for blood strike and brigade i think i only got up to about issue 10 i got whole runs of young blood back in my parents house but um when this came out it was a three issue mini series that came out last year um Bloodstrike Brutalists or Brutalists? How would you pronounce Brutalists, it? Brutalists, yeah. Brutalists, okay. Um, and it kind of plugs in a couple of... I mean, Copra is uh, a book that you can pick up and, you know, run with without much prior knowledge. But uh, Bloodstrike, man, this is balls deep in terms of... there's. There, I mean, there's characters that are mentioned that you might not know what's going on. But I, having said that, I, I've changed my mind there mid-sentence. I think even though I couldn't remember a lot of the characters, I did follow the story, um, which is obviously the mark of, of good storytelling. But I mean, this picks up from that original run. Or yeah, it plugs, it it plugs, I mean, in, miss, it plugs that... in a couple of missing issues because they, they, right. they had a weird thing, didn't they, where they, around issue 10, they published issue 25, 
it was almost like a future events and then the the, the idea was the storytellers would build up month by month up to this issue 25 it was a really cool idea i had the stormwatch one as well um yeah yeah and, but, they, but it stopped but it's but it stopped on issue 22 and then you've come along and you know you've kind of filled in the blanks with issue 23 and 24 Right, because I'm an anal fanboy, and I just need those <laughs> those story, those plot elements to be wrapped up. Um, because as a fan of that stuff, I, I wondered the same things, like what happened to these characters and what happened to that situation. And uh, I was rereading that stuff, and I was thinking, what 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 if I just did that myself, you know? And what if I could reach out to Rob and ask him if it'd be cool if I did it? Um, oh shit! And- so you actually reached out to him and said, "Look, I want to finish this story off." Oh yeah, no specifically, and and make it a three parter, and the first part being the issue zero, which Bloodstrike yeah. never got. You know, Brigade has a zero, Youngblood has a zero, you know, everyone pretty much got a zero except for Bloodstrike. So I figured if I could plug in those holes, give them the number zero, make it three parter, I could sort of use it as a showcase of as many Rob Liefeld properties as I can, while telling those, while wrapping up those old plot threads. You know, so that was a balance. So it, it could be an overload of information if you're not familiar with the characters and stuff, because I treat it just like straight. Like I'm not gonna exp- I'm not gonna take time and explain yeah. from the from the ground up because I have a limited amount of, sp- of space. I have three issues. Yeah, to tell I mean, like I said, the I had a, I think I had the first ten issues, and so yeah. then when I read your mini, obviously the zero is kind of like that sort of origin stuff, but then even reading. 23 and 24 I didn't need to have read 11 to 22 it did make sense because I did remember those characters you know and 24 was probably my favorite that that cover oh man that cover it's very Sam Keith-ish you know uh, um, I love Sam Keith yeah, yeah yeah and you know the the the, the bits with uh, Deadlock and Foreplay where they're kind of blacked out and scratchy and that that bit where she's cutting the guy in half with with the swords oh man that is a uh, that's choice stuff right there well Thanks, man. I'm glad you you dig that. Now, the the thing is, um, I I mean, not to give anything away about the original run of spoilers, but the, it was a team book for the first ten issues, and then it turned into like a solo book, and so that's almost like a different title that has very little to do with the previous ten issues. You know, just just for your listeners, just so they can know the context of what yes. Bloodstrike was. Um, so I had to marry those two elements because they didn't in the original run now i don't think the book was canceled i think they just kept going with a new number one they did that Ah, really called assassin a blood strike assassin and uh and another one shot um and they never touched upon those two missing issues even though it was even though they told us oh they were coming they're coming 23 23 and 24 are coming and and then they never did so as a fan i'm like i wanted those stories and so luckily Rob was cool enough to let me do my Copra thing on it, which was, which is to say I drew colored, lettered everything. And I, and I managed the whole thing. I got a bunch of my buddies to do backups. So instead of having ads, we have cool, yep. a future ads for comics that may or may not come out. You yeah, know what was, I mean? That, like was just nice. having that was nice. Guys like Chuck Forsman do a, a comic in the back, as a back cover instead of just having uh, like another house ad, you know, I wanted it. I wanted this item to be an artifact that's that's cool enough to keep to have and uh and to, and to hold to collect uh just to, just to not have it be typical i wanted it to be like a cool thing that lives on its own 
uh, every issue too. I, I wanted every issue to kind of uh, to be enjoyable on its own merit. You know, obviously it's going to be a three parter, so read together. Hopefully that that that's a satisfying yeah. thing. But uh, yeah, I just pay attention to all these little things. I try to make the individual comic um, as satisfying as possible, as opposed to like writing for the trade or waiting for like yeah. a hardcover collection down the line. You know, I try to make these these comics to be like short bursts, the uh, in, intense bursts of of information. You know, am I, am I right in thinking? Am I right in thinking as well? On your on your website, there's a um, you do a bit of a deep dive on Bloodstrike as well. If people want to. Yeah, they could go to my site, just my name, michellefife.com, and I have a retrospective on, on the day the first issue came out, 25 years later, I posted this huge retrospective on, on where Bloodstrike came from, where they've been, the cameos they've appeared in. Cool. Uh, and I go pretty deep on it, you know. So yep. that's a good companion to the book, you know, yeah, because nice. I touch upon all the things that happened to the characters in the story so it, it was it also served as a refresher for older readers or new readers if they've never even heard of blood strike so i think it worked if you i mean if you're looking at that that image just those that line quickly that came out of those original seven if you had to pick a favorite team book sylvester's um cyber force lee's wildcats um rob's young blood or um Wells's wet works what's what's your, what, would, what was your favorite choice of those team books Oh, young blood all the way. All the way, yeah, yeah. Young and blood all, all the way, yeah. Freak Force comes a close second. Really? Yeah, Freak Force. I remember that. Yeah, yeah. I like Freak Force because I'm a big Savage Dragon fan. Okay. I like the artist on that, uh, Vic Bridges. I love those stories. Okay. They're plotted largely by Keith Giffen. Yeah. But the Young Blood title that was my favorite title. I actually collected it, and and read it and followed it and was excited every time a new issue would come out. As opposed to say. Cyberforce, which I only okay. got the first issue and I never right. really followed it. I, you know, Wildcats, I made it to maybe issue three. Yep. Um, I like those artists. I really like those artists. I mean, Sylvester's one of the best yep. and Jim Lee's great too. Uh, but the books themselves, I wasn't, it was difficult to get hot for. You know what I mean? Youngblood, just, it was for me. I dug. Who was your favorite Youngblood character? Man, I always gravitate to Die Hard. I love Die Hard. He was cool as shit, Die Hard, yeah. He was great, and they tried flushing him out later when Eric Stevenson was writing the second volume, and Roger Cruz was drawing it. Yeah, that run is underrated because Roger Cruz is a great artist. He he ate that kind of Joe Mad style a little bit in the beginning, didn't he? But then he kind of developed his own style. Exactly right. At first, it was like a, just a Joe Mad riff, and that's that's fine too. That that's beautiful. Um, but he really came into his own during that run, and the stories start shaping up too. I mean, Eric Stevenson yeah. should be given credit for like trying to. Uh, mold something specific there, you know, yeah. trying to rein it all in. And yeah, yeah. so I, I love all those comics. So my pick would be Youngblood all the way. Cool. cool. Um, it's a G.I. Joe pop quiz, pop quiz. It's a G.I. Joe pop quiz, pop quiz. Question oh, love two. These. Love these. It's a lazy Sunday afternoon. Uh, you've gone down to the local chili cook-off. Um, who is going to be able to eat the hottest chili? Is it Roadblock or is it Sergeant Slaughter? <laughs> I gotta give it to Roadblock, man. Yeah, come on. I know he's yeah. the chef and all that, but I mean, he's the Slaughter chef. He's looks gotta, mean. He's gotta handle it. Come on. Yeah, come okay. on, Sergeant Slaughter. I mean, I dig him, but he's he's a visitor. Roadblock okay. is like he's family, man. All right, yeah, cool, cool. Digging that. All right. Um. Okay, so let's let's move on to 
the the project which is coming out next week. Every, you know, G.I. Joe fans are excited about this, the three-issue miniseries, G.I. Joe, Sierra Murta. How did that come yes, about? indeed. How did that come about? Uh, I wanted to work on G.I. Joe, essentially. I mean, I, uh, I've been wanting to work with IDW specifically for a while now, and they had G.I. Joe, and that, that was just the perfect fit. Um, funnily enough, I did some G.I. Joe samples well over a decade ago, just, just trying to be like an art robot, like just a work for hire, just please yep. have me draw something. So I did some G.I. Joe samples. Cause now, these are on your, book. yeah, I saw these, I saw these on your website. Yeah. Um, so when, when you say, you know, <laughs> excuse me, when you say you were doing these, what was the, the ambition, like you say, I guess, was just to, to become an art, art artist on the, on any G.I. Joe project, was it? Or Yeah. Or, or anything that they would have, but hopefully G.I. Joe, because that was the property that I felt suited to draw as opposed to something like Transformers where, yeah. I, you know, it would just, it would be more of a struggle for me. It wasn't a natural fit. Um, and although I did my own comics back then, uh, my own independent stories, I still wanted a job. You know, I still wanted to develop a career uh, drawing, uh, even just penciling. I wasn't, you know, I didn't have to ink. So I did these samples based on these just characters, just tell a story of everything I would want to draw. So I threw in Snake Eye, Storm Shadow, Destro, Baroness, and as many, you know, put as much stuff in as few pages as possible. Just because yeah. it's it's a sample. You don't want to give them a graphic novel, you know. You just want to show them that you could draw. Uh, but I got swamped. Nothing came of it. It cut to me now um, being let loose on, on the franchise, which is great. Doing my, again, my Cobra thing, which is just p pretty much handpicking what characters i want to use cool throughout throughout the time throughout the history of the the gi joe comics history so what so when it's been a it's been a blast cool i mean what was your introduction to gi joe i know you you know said back at the beginning that you you were always reading comics um but you may, maybe came to the gi joe a bit later what what do you, do you remember not not saying what was the first gi joe comic you read unless you can remember it, but do you know what era what kind of stage in the run well, the first, the very first comic, oh, G.I. Joe comic I read was Special, no, Special Missions number 11. Ah. However, that was one of my very first comics, and that unfortunately got eclipsed by my love for Batman and Suicide Squad and Daredevil, yep. which was my introduction to those characters as well. Uh, so I really gravitated towards that, not so much into G.I. Joe, though I liked the cartoons and I had some of the toys. But like I said, as an older reader, that I, I got hooked by Larry Hama's work in general, specifically G.I. Joe. Um, and I don't remember the issue. It might have been around. It was a, a Mark Bright drawn issue of Snake Eyes. Okay. It was, I think, issue 104. Um, oh, that's that the one where they him infiltrate. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I just loved it. I just I mean, it, it was brisk but it was meaty. There was a lot to it. Uh, there's Man, a, Mark, Mark Bright is underrated as an artist, isn't he? I mean, super underrated. And I loved him from like Green Lantern and Batman stuff and his yep. work at Milestone. But I never, I never knew he, that he drew G.I. Joe. And then I thought it was a fill-in issue. But I loved the story so much, I just started buying back issues. And I discovered that he had a good chunk of comics. And I don't understand why they're so underrated maybe it's because it's a franchise comic and and yeah. you know people only really talk about like the silent interlude or the first few issues that are classic 
but people his people stuff, forget as well. So good. People forget as well uh, around sort of eighty five and eighty six when the comic was like three or four years old. It was you know it was outselling X Men. It was Marvel's number one book. Yeah. Um, That's right. It was G.I. Joe and X Men back neck and neck. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, and obviously, the, you know, they, they kind of generally, I say they, the industry kind of suggests that if you're a toy franchise comic, you've probably got two years tops before cancellation and, and you know, those toys uh, make way for new toys and, and your, your comic book's going off the cliff. But I mean, to do 155 issues, okay, admittedly, towards the end, the sales maybe weren't so good, but 155 issues of a toy franchise and then 10 years later to resurrect or more than 10 years later to resurrect it. And do another hundred issues is um is a big achievement. Yeah, I think it's tradition to put not your best people on franchise properties. That's just the way it goes. Right. You, you put your top talent on the bigger books. Um, and so, thankfully, because of that, Larry Hama got his chance to start his first regular writing gig on GI Joe and slowly develop it into this into this thing. I mean, he is the voice of GI Joe. You know, yeah. it's nothing else. It's his voice. It's his vision. Um, and the fact that it went that long is a testament to that because they could have easily just canceled it, especially at the at the height of the crunch, you know, when yep. the bubble burst. It could have gone away. But he held on to it, even while he was writing Avengers and writing Wolverine. Yeah. Uh, and he increased the sales on Wolverine too, but they never gave, gave him credit for that either for some weird reason. That's a good but run as well. That's a good run. It's that, a great uh, run. Yeah. It's a good, him and Silvestri are, that's like such, and Dan Green as the anchor, that's such yep. a potent combination. It's, it's fantastic. And but then it was Adam Kubert. He wrote Adam, was it Adam, Adam Kubert came on as well, I think, was it after that? Eventually, yeah, he came on when, when Mark Silvestri went to Image. Yeah. Um, but Larry Hama held it down for a long time specifically yeah. for yeah gi joe that's you know that's and he started he started so he started he started doing you know kind of the chris claremont thing of of having all these subplots and you start to not be able to tell where the story is ending and a new one's beginning it's just one long soap opera of uh you know and, and it's not to be outside i was chatting to my a, a friend the other day and you know he's not into gi joe and he's oh that's that gi joe kids thing and i'm like you you look at these it's not a kids thing you look at these um, in-depth stories and there's you know there's there's war there's drama there's politics there's humor there's romance I mean Larry does it all yeah he got a, he got away with a lot for a mainstream comic he really injected uh, adult themes and and politics tons of politics yeah. uh, into these comics and, and into essentially a war comic book um, <clears throat> where he couldn't really show too much violence but he couldn't ignore it you know the way the cartoon sort of had to uh, kind of dance around the fact that these people were being murdered and their lives were actually in <laughs> yeah. danger. Yeah, yeah. But he I also mean, never forgot the fact that it's a comic book that has a ninja, you know, that has ninjas, <laughs> that has guys like Serpentor in that universe, you know, just very comic booky concepts uh, integrated with a real knowledge, real military know-how. Yeah. Um, the only difference between him and someone like, say, Claremont was that I think Hama had a larger challenge in the fact that he was given new characters all the time, yep. unpredictably. Just like here's a new season, here's the new crop of toys, here's a new here's the new Cobra Commander armor. Work with it, yep. Yep. and he did, and I mean, he did great with it. On the on the last episode of, of the pod, we we covered this briefly. That I think it was um, 
from the IDW hardcover reprints, they mention the story that uh, Return of the Jedi had come out and it's got the Ewoks, you know, who are these cuddly teddy bears. And apparently Hasbro, I don't know if this is pinch of salt stuff, but apparently Hasbro had said to Larry, we want to introduce some new cuddly teddy bear villains into G.I. Joe. And he said it was the first <laughs> and only, or the only time where he stood his ground and said, absolutely no. You know, it was the only time Hasbro backed down and they, they said, well, what are we going to do then? He said, oh, just give me some kind of, you know, Australian biker gang or whatever. So Hasbro went and designed the dreadnoughts or the, the, these Australian bikers and left it to Larry just to flesh out the whole background for him. So fortunately, we've got the dreadnoughts oh, who are God. absolutely ace and not some cuddly teddy bears. He would have made that work too. But yeah, I, I love the dreadnoughts. Uh, I loved working on him. I, I include him in the uh, in my mini. Well, I see sure. I see and buzzer I see buzzer there with uh, uh, throwing down with roadblock. Um, is buzzer the only one, or or do we get a few more? Oh no, no, no. He's one of the many. I try Sweet. I tried including as many of them as I possibly could without get you know without clogging up the works. But uh, I, I yeah. love the dreadnoughts. Is it? Is, I mean, it's easy enough to ask the question: Who's your favorite Joes? But I'll go the other way. Who's who's your least favorite Joes or characters? Least well, I mean, in I the GI Joe world, use them in my mini, <laughs> right? You know, uh, so I can't really say I, I don't really concentrate on them. In fact, I didn't use enough of them. I, there are so many others that I, I like. Um, I'm not terribly familiar with the stuff in the '90s, like yeah. what was it, the the Ninja Force? Yeah, 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 Ninja or Force or something yeah. like that. They those look interesting, but I know nothing about them, so I don't know if they're lousy characters. I doubt it. Uh, but I, I, you know, the the low hanging fruit is the that magician sort of Doctor Strange character, uh, Crystal Ball. Crystal Ball, yeah, who's yeah. written out pretty quickly. Um, yeah. But yeah, I don't really. There was quite really a few there, any characters. There was quite a few weirdos on there. Crystal Ball, uh, Cesspool was the the the, the eco toxic guy, but he came like you say, like he was in like the one twenties, one thirties, whatever. Um, yeah. Head Raptor, Raptor was pretty cool. Raptor, uh, what issues was he in? He's around the kind of 60s, I think. He's with Fred Seven um, when he starts donning the battle armor. He's like in a he's like in a car half the time. Yeah, he's, is he yeah, a, like yeah. a, a an IRS sorry, or an accountant or something? He, yes, I think you're right. I think you're right. Yeah, with it. Yeah, he is. Yeah, I mean, see, that's perfect. Like you know, no one wants to draw that guy. You know, Larry <laughs> Hama's like, I guess I got to work this guy in. So he yeah. gave him like a twist that was hilarious and it was functional. Like it actually moved the story forward. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, he could make any character work. And yeah. I, I feel like I, I have I have trouble uh, pinpointing characters I don't like because if anything, I would challenge myself to start, try to see something redeemable about them, something I could use. Um, like even even the the Cobra La cast right yeah. um they're hated right um but they i think they look great and i i probably could have done something cool with them i you think know? your they style don't have to be like the yeah. joke you know yeah your style would have would have worked was it globulus pythona and uh nemesis enforcer i think it was the three. yeah there were, there were three of them and uh man i could have you know thinking about it now i could have done something <laughs> i might still very well do something maybe that's the, with them you know? yeah yeah that's the next series i'll, I'll buy that i'll buy that um, yeah, the scope the scope for Sierra Morte is uh, was was limited. You know, I only had three issues, and it was more of a it's more of a grounded adventure. Um, 
you know, so, despite that they're they're like bat robots and uh so you say it's three and, and, issues i mean is that something did you have a story in mind and then idw said we're only going to give you three or did you say i only need three we worked we worked around that i mean it could have been six four at one point it was one but i mean that's just the way these things go in in, in scheduling projects um between what they're used to and what i was capable of so we yeah. landed on three issues and i told the story i wanted to tell in that space cool. um, with a very specific tone as well so something like the nemesis enforcer and company that would take up another three issues if i got the chance or or more yeah. or less maybe it's one issue you know all these things are, are pretty flexible um but for my for my story i wanted it to be an action story with a lot of character work. So, so it's, I wanted it to keep, keep the story moving, keep that sort of momentum moving forward while taking the, the, the right amount of time to flesh out the characters and showcase these people's relationship with one another. You know, yeah. the, the characters that I specifically picked to, and wanted to draw. So it's a combination of everything. It's who I wanted to write, who I wanted to draw and how I wanted them to interact with one another, whether it be hero or villain. And do we get a lot um, of locations cropping up in this, or is it all based in one area? It, it all takes place in Sierra Muerte, which is a neighboring country to Sierra Gordo. Ah, Sierra Gordo, I nice. mean, the, the stories told in Sierra Gordo are fantastic. I love them. Yeah. They happen around the, the, the 70s issues, uh, the numbered 70s. Um, that, those, Sierra that Muerte, totally although it was mentioned, they never, they never visited there, as far as I know. They just never did. Right. And so I took that opportunity to, to, to do that, to flesh out that, that town, which includes, you know, a swamp, a metropolitan area, uh, a beachside. Um, so, you know, it's a varied country, but they're all there. It's all contained. Yeah, you know, cool. It's an international uh, Latin American adventure with, you know, with a secret, you know, shield sort of uh bases and weaponry and just kind of like herb trimpy kirby inspired tech mixed in with uh you know urban ninja a psychedelic uh, mind control thing. Shit, it's I, all I just it's all going on throwing off. it all into one <laughs> one thing with just one canvas just Wicked. trying to do it i i treated this as if it were the only chance i got to ever work on gi joe right right so i had yeah, to that's the way to go yeah. yeah yeah so hopefully um, it reads like that too, like this sort of like weird fever dream. That's also not too weird. I, I don't want to, again, I didn't want to reinvent the wheel. I wanted to sort of um, utilize the, the icons as they yeah. are in my mind, which, which stems heavily from the cartoon, you know, because that's what I grew up with. That's how I familiarized myself with these characters. Okay. Uh, so it has a very clean, clean for me too, um, has a, a clean, slick look visually. And then the stories are a little, you know, grounded. They're a little grittier. They're more human-based. So, it, again, it's just a mix. Cool, cool. Um, it's a G.I. Joe pop quiz, pop quiz. It's a G.I. Joe pop quiz, pop quiz. Question three. Nothing much is happening, so you flick on the TV for a little bit of a Saturday evening viewing. There's a celebrity quiz show on. Two people have made it into the final. Who do you think's got the best general knowledge? Is it Cobra Commander or is it Fred Seven Cobra Commander? Uh, probably Fred Seven, I'd say. 
I guess it depends what the question is. The the main one, he's too self-absorbed to care about anything much. Yeah, Yeah, I think you're right. Uh, Fred Seven, I think, would dominate. Cool, cool. Um, In terms of when you're when you're drawing uh, the GI Joe book, we we know, you know, that Larry is a stickler for realistic military hardware so you know there's stories of artists drawing guns and him sending them back and saying redraw it what what's kind of your take do you are you going for that or are you from the the Liefeld school of weaponry where it's kind of big and you know chunky and what's your the take latter definitely the latter definitely um Liefeld by way of Kirby you know which really is like I, I mentioned him before but Herb Trimpey who drew the first year's worth of stories um, most of that stuff was just made up weaponry, you know. Um, the, he wasn't like a stickler. It wasn't like uh, weapon porn, you know. Yeah. But that it, it, that creep that crept in way later, and even during the '80s, it wasn't so heavy. I mean, maybe a vehicle here and there, but yeah. Um, the original stuff, I just I I just liked the 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 verve of that stuff. You know what I mean? Where it still had leanings in 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 the in the fantasy realm and by fantasy i mean just like the bombastic kirby imagination yep yep aspect of it i, I don't mean fantasy of course but i mean that if there it was looks some, like there it was work, some... why not i mean it's a comic book i mean i'm trying yeah. to to sort of tap into that into the fact that these are drawings you know and, and that's sort of like a, a, a meta take for myself just so i could work on this stuff right because as a reader i'm not necessarily interested uh, in those kind of details like if I read a Punisher comic I'm not going to be one of those readers that writes into the editor complaining that this semi-automatic doesn't really function like that because yeah. as a reader I don't really care that's not part of the story unless it is if it's part of the story then yeah you have to be sort of very very faithful to the facts you know yeah. but this isn't a historical piece and most of those right? most of those early vi- any, not even early vehicles in, in G.I. Joe the, the majority of vehicles throughout the run, they weren't just a standard tank or a standard plane. You know, they were, they were had some crazy takes on them, and like you say, that kind of Kirby-ish, sci-fi-ish kind of just a twisted take. So it was never, even though, it, you know, it was a, a, a grounded in some sense kind of military book. That the, the goings on around it in the vehicles were not necessarily what you would see on a battlefield in real life. Right. I think, I think, look, there's room for all of it, I think. And it just depends on the kind of story you want to tell and how you want to portray that story. I think everything's fine. You could do a hyper-realistic military type of comic and have G.I. Joe characters serve that story. But I also think you could tell a story where there's uh, a guy running around that's made up, that who's a clone made up of past dictators you know what i mean like it's just yeah. that's sort of the beauty of the soap opera that is gi joe yeah right like you could have these fantastical weird elements that only really work in comic books that's the advantage that comic books books have you just sort of like suspend your disbelief to just enjoy the deeper core of this thing um you don't really you know <laughs> physics don't really work in some of these stories you know like the way people act and move the way bodies react to certain things it's just it's it works or either it doesn't you know it just depends on the ultimate experience of what the eventual experience that you want the reader to have yeah right so my reader hopefully 
would just like the fact that it, these are human characters responding to certain situations and they're not caught up with the fact that well this you know this strap doesn't really hold this much weight yeah. i don't really care about that stuff that's not what i get out of comic books i that's certainly not what i get out of gi joe comic books yeah. you know i mean so, you've only got to, you've only got to look at tom shioli's transformers gi joe comic to uh you know that is one of the greatest gi joe comics of all time in my opinion and it's it that is. is just batshit crazy from start to finish I mean, yes, yes and no. I mean, I, I think, I think Tom's, uh, I think Tom's a visionary, and he lent his vision to two really complex properties, and he married them seamlessly. He made it seem like, how could they ever live apart? Yeah. Because this is so perfect. Um, and he did his own thing, so it makes sense. There's like a logic behind his vision. Um, and I, I know what you mean, like. It, it just works on its own terms yeah. it shouldn't work right? but and that's it, sort of it, what i'm i'm going for i'm trying to tap into that into cool. that sort of freedom of a cartoonist who has that freedom you know you're not tied down by by anything except your own imagination right yeah. so we have these these avatars by you know in these iconic characters to tell these wild stories why not take advantage of that you know if you're if part of your vision is getting military uh aspects correctly great that's awesome hopefully it'll be a cool story and i'll be able to give a shit uh, now for tom shioli's book that's like top of the pile that is and now he's doing it with GoBots. oh so yeah i've read the, i just, just read this i just read the second issue of that man that's another good book yeah yeah he's made me care about the GoBots. you know yeah. <laughs> who thought you they'd know, say he that the same thing with superpowers when he was doing those three pagers he made me he reminded us that these characters exist and they're right there for the taking and they're hardly being used. And he pretty much eclipsed the main feature, I think. Um, yeah. But that sort of spirit is what I think a bunch of us cartoonists have currently. We're applying these 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 wider sensibilities to these kind of iconic set in stone things. Um, and I think that's a great potent combination, man. I mean, those are the again, those are the comics I like to read, and I'm just fortunate to be able to do one like that to actually work on something like that yeah i mean cool I, i'm super pumped i mean how does that how do you balance you know doing your the, your own book and the indie work and then going and working obviously we didn't even touch about the um the all new ultimates book you did at marvel and stuff how do you how do you kind of balance all this workload uh just i mean it, just one by one i mean that's why i took a break from copra my own book copra because uh I, you know, I wanted to work on Bloodstrike and then the G.I. Joe thing sort of developed naturally right after that back to back. So it's really just uh, I can't really juggle too much too too many projects at one time. I have to sort of fully concentrate on one thing to yeah. just give it my all my complete attention. Um, when I was working for Marvel, that was different. I, I'm glad I took that that job just to see what it felt like to just write and also do my own comic. And I. It, it, it was a lot of work it just took a lot yeah uh and would you go would you go back approach things these days would you go back and do a marvel book or a dc book do you think oh uh, sure yeah maybe depending on the conditions and depending on my level of interest but yeah. i'm perfectly happy doing my own stuff that cool. that that kind of comes first yeah that's good you know that kind of comes first uh blood strike and gi joe are specific properties that um uh, you know they're special to me you know, 
and I felt like I I need I I wanted to use the little window of time that I had in my schedule to work on that. Uh, that window just kind of got expanded. <laughs> you know, it, it it was about almost a year working on this stuff that wasn't mine. Wow! But it was the break I needed. You know, I got out of my comfort zone, uh, and I got to work with awesome people yeah. uh, in the in these companies, um, and essentially to do my my own thing. Like you know, so it's kind of a perfect scenario. Yeah. Uh, do you, you get, know, Marvel, do you get time DC to want to utilize that? Then maybe again, yeah. it, it's it's it depends. Yeah. I mean, do you get time to actually read any comics? Doing it in between all this work, and if so, what are you reading at the moment? Uh, I do. I skim a lot of comics. Yeah. I, you know, uh, collecting comics is like a different beast. You know, I I I, uh, I like to bin dive. I like to buy old comics. Um. And and new ones too, you know. Like, uh, what's the most recent thing I got? I got, you know, Jason Aaron's Avengers. Yep. That's enjoyable. Um, it's like a really fun looking Marvel book. It's great. You know, uh, I mentioned uh, Tom Shealy's uh, GoBots. You know, I've only read the first issue so far. Okay. I haven't gotten the second yet. Uh, but that's fun. Ed Pisker's uh, X Men. That's oh, the been Grand great. Design book. That? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's that's awesome. They're letting him do what he wants with the X Men properties. I mean, that's, I mean, it's the only X Men book I'm reading. You know yeah. what I mean? That seems to be a new kind of trend, doesn't it? Especially from the big two, of of, you know, relaxing a little bit of control and letting creators with a vision kind of do their own thing, which is kind of refreshing. I mean, as long as it sells, I think you know that's <laughs> yeah. all, that's all they that's all they respond to as they should they're a business you know yeah. uh they're not in this for for you know for a hobby or an art form they're a business um so luckily guys like like ed could sneak in and, and you know muscle his way in there and, and make comics on his own terms i mean that's yeah. great more of that please and all, i mean if you think about it all the classic comics that we all love from the past uh, kind of operated under the same conditions you know you let someone loose that's how you get like an Alan Moore. Yeah. You know, that's how you cultivate that sort of talent, you know, not under scrutiny, not under, uh, you know, not by committee, polite committee, you know, nothing political going on. You just make a thing. And that's sort of how I operate, especially with my, with Copra. It's just a more immediate, raw, direct thing between me and the reader. And that's it. No middleman. Right. Except, you know, the stores obviously, but, it's just a pure direct line to my form of expression. You know, it's just what I want to do. It's the kind of book I want to put out there. And hopefully the readers want that, you know, because that's what I look for in other creators. Like, like the guys I mentioned, Tom and Ed, Chuck Forsman doing the same thing with his Revenger comic. That's another comic I highly recommend. Okay. I've not read that. Revenger is one of the best action comics in the past 10 years. Uh, And it's one guy doing it all, you know, uh, one vision if you guys aren't familiar with chuck boardsman he's the guy who created the end of the fucking world right uh now on netflix okay yeah yeah yeah, yeah. but he did an adventure comic called revenger um and it's fantastic i'll check you that guys out. should definitely whoever's listening should definitely check that out cool cool um last couple of questions i know we've kept you a long time really appreciate that um Will, do you think we'll ever see you over in the UK at a convention? Thought Bubble, I think, in Leeds is, is right up your alley. They have a great selection of big-name artists and or creators as well as indie guys and, 
um, small press guys, and uh, I think that'd be right up your alley. Is that something you'd be interested in, maybe at some point? I'd love, I'd love to go. I've been wanting to go for years, okay. uh, but my schedule doesn't really allow for it, and uh, yeah, it's it's a little tricky. Yeah. I have to stay stateside, and even stateside, I'm only really doing one convention a year at this point. Wow. Um, but Thought Bubble, that's definitely on my list. I, I want to make it over there. Uh, if not for Thought Bubble, then definitely for a store. I mean. Yeah. Gosh is a great store. They've been huge yep. supporters of mine. Cool. Oh, do they uh, they stock Orbital. the book? Do they? Because uh, um, I, I pop into Gosh every now and again. It's just never even thought to cross my mind to to look for Kuiper. But if they stock it, then I'm going to pop in there. Yeah. They got it. They, they have cool. all the volumes. They should have Bloodstrike too. They probably have Zagus, which is my other book for Fanographics. Um, it's they they should have it all. They're really huge supporters. I really appreciate them. Wicked. Excellent. Um, yeah. It's a G.I. Joe pop quiz, pop quiz. It's a G.I. Joe pop quiz, pop quiz. Last question for... Um, you don't know what to do. You're bored. It seems a lot of these questions where you're bored, there's nothing to do. Anyway, you're bored. You've popped down to the local video game arcade. There's a big crowd. They've gathered around the Pac-Man machine. There's two people playing head-to-head. Who's going to get the highest score on Pac-Man? Is it Hawk or is it Serpentor? Hold on. One... Quick go. Quick question. Yeah, yeah. Is it Ms. Pac-Man or is it Pac-Man? Oh, shit. Ms. Pac-Man was the bomb, wasn't it? Uh, it's Ms. Pac-Man, yeah? Why not? Um, it's definitely Hawk. Yeah? It's definitely Hawk. Serpentor wouldn't even know what to do looking at his screen. He would probably just smash that up, wouldn't he? Yeah, he'd, he he wouldn't make it past the first round. Okay. No, but Hawk, he would totally dominate. And okay. I'm, I'm a big Ms. Pac-Man fan, so I would know. Nice, nice. Um, listeners out there, if, if you like Michelle's answers to the four Popkers questions, let us know. If you think he got them all wrong, let us know, and we'll, we'll feed that back to him. Um, <laughs> just want to say thanks again for coming on the show. Um, where can people find you if they want to check out your stuff? Uh, where, where can they go? You can always find news and updates on michellefife.com or just follow me on social media at Twitter, uh, Facebook, or Instagram. I'm there under my own name. So just uh, seek me out and uh, let's talk about some old comics or something. Yeah, it's been a real pleasure. I mean, later on in the year, and look, you're, you're so busy. Late, I just had a thought later on in the year, if, if you get you know a free half an hour and you want to come back on the show while we do one of our rereads um, and cover a couple of issues, you're more than welcome. Awesome. Good to know. Yeah, cool. I'd love to reread some of that stuff. Excellent. Again, thanks for our brilliant guest, Michelle Fife, um, and we will catch you all down the road with the next episode. No, no.